Welcome to The Unseen Journey, a podcast dedicated to supporting veterans and their families as they navigate life after the military. We feature mental health experts, stories of resilience against invisible wounds and injuries, as well as practical tools for reacclimation. The Unseen Journey, brought to you by Operation Red Wings Foundation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Unseen Journey. My name is Guy, and I'm joined with my host, as always, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing today? Good morning. And we've got a special guest with us today, Jeremy. Jeremy, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Nice to be here. Yeah, we're we're doing great, brother. Hey, real quick, before we uh, get into this, The Unseen Journey would really appreciate if this is your first time reaching down there, hitting the like and subscribe button. If you are a veteran or a spouse of a veteran and you're interested in attending a retreat from our sponsor, Operation Red Wings Foundation, also reach down there. There's our website. You can sign up. They're free. Get some great food, meet some great people, and yeah, you know, just come out and hang out with us. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Shout out to Chef Jess. Thank you for always being there supporting us. And our Uh, Texas chefs. Oh, yeah. Wait, I don't, I'm sorry. Texas, no offense. I haven't been there in so long. The last time I went to Texas was for a family retreat. So, Jeremy, I've been through all three retreats. I'm not just a, no, I'm just, sorry. Uh, I've been through individuals, couples, and family. And uh, I believe you've been through a retreat as well. Which, which, which retreat or retreats have you been through? I went through the January male combat veteran retreat. Nice, nice. Yeah, and so I recently learned, Ashley, I think, was the one who taught me this. The retreats are now open to all veterans. Ashley, is that correct? That is correct. We changed the combat requirement, not last fall, but the fall before that. Oh, wow. And, I'm, I'm but way it's behind still, it. <laughs> well, but it's still, you know, because if it were up to certain people, they'd, you know, it's been discussed to have it only be like elite forces. And then it went oh, to people who went on a deployment. I mean, because then, I mean... You can break down the definition of a combat veteran, too. Yeah, very true. And so it just got tricky. And so I know I was definitely on the side to push the leadership to open it up to all veterans because there's just that definition of veterans is so broad. And it starts, you know, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. It kind of starts that pissing contest when in reality, we're all here for each other. Yeah, 100%. So, Jeremy, I'm going to jump over to you for a second. Before I do it, though, I I want to add to that thought, Ashley. We've said on this podcast before, and if you haven't listened to some of our previous podcasts, please do us a favor. Jump back out there. We come at you uh, once a week, so you can always catch up. Nice long car trip or something. We've always said trauma is trauma, right? Trauma equals trauma. So whether you're a spouse that's living with a veteran who has PTSD, whether you're a survivor of some type of sexual trauma, military sexual trauma, it doesn't matter. Trauma is trauma. And if you live with, or you are friends with someone who has trauma in their life, which is all of us, then, you, then you've experienced trauma and you have something that you can benefit from these retreats. So I do think it's cool that we've opened it up to all veterans. I think it also helps kind of uh, relieve some of that, that almost that like stress of like, oh gosh, you know, because a lot of times veterans are like, I'm, am I going to get there? Is it like, is the combat I did, is it enough? Like, was my is service enough? enough? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we start asking that question. Whereas, as we've said previously, we need to pull out that little sticky note that says, I have permission to, and in this case, just attend and be okay with everything that I've done in service for my country or as a spouse, right? Supporting someone. Um, so and Jeremy, so Guy, yeah, well, go, please. I wanted to do a little intro and then because I feel like oh, I know yeah, where your go, head's go. going. Yeah, I know sure, where please. your head's going to kind of pick Jeremy apart, but I want to kind of do yeah. the bio so then you can pick him apart there. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's do it. I just I saw the hat and I was getting excited. But please, let's I know, hear his bio. I know it's really exciting. And and then something too that you were talking about because when we talked to Jeremy earlier, and we're going to get into this, but he even said I only did this. See, and we have Uh, our own bad habits of kind of diminishing our, you know, our accomplishments. So we're going to get into this. So we have Jeremy Respentine. He is an Army veteran. He was in 27. He was a 27 Delta paralegal. He deployed to Iraq in 2008. And as he mentioned, he went to a retreat in January of this year. um, And it, it brought him back to life after experiencing some huge issues in his life. Um, and it also brought him a brotherhood that he still speaks to daily. 
And he's also, since the retreat, he enrolled in college to go the social work route. And he also became the social work club president at his student veterans office. And he's really working to improve his school. And then he also published two books and maintains a blog. And I looked Ah. through some of your blog entries. So lots to pick into here. Oh, cool. Thank you. Jeremy, tell me about the hat, because I saw the hat, right? Uh, Yeah, there we go. Operation Iraqi Freedom. Where where were you? When were you? All right. So when I deployed to Iraq, I was an augmentee. I had a place, a paralegal that had to come home. Um, So I was put at Camp Victory at first to train because I was just really new to the Army. I trained in criminal law, and then I was placed at 95th MP Battalion at Fab Rastamaya in Sauter City, Iraq. And that's where we were mortared daily, multiple times a day. Unfortunately, we had um, KIAs and and WIAs uh, too many due to the mortars and IEDs around the area. And my uh, my unit's uh, primary mission was to train and assist the Iraqi police at the time in Sauter City, which was the capital of the insurgent group uh, that we were fighting. So it was very difficult. Yeah, I... uh... I remember that area well. I lived in uh, what used to be the Iraqi Department of Energy when I was there in Sadr City. And uh, they're just a, a little ahead of you. But I want to jump back because you said individual augmentee. And so I want to capture something, especially with this being the Unseen Journey podcast. Oh, yeah. So individual augmentee. So you flew from somewhere in America. You you flew somewhere, not with a unit, right? Right. And you went and from trained, Germany. And then you went... There we go. So you flew. So were you stationed? Were you living in Germany at the time? Or right, I was stationed in, in Germany. No, I was stationed okay. in Germany. The Germany connection. There it is. <laughs> man, man. There it is. We can, we can find out later if he came back home with the three Bs, right? The, the BMW, <laughs> the baby, and the beer belly. Anyways, <laughs> the whole different conversation. But you, you got on an airplane. Here's what people need to understand. Individual augmentee, right? So I'm going to start with a unit. A unit, right? I know I'm spinning up. I got people I've been training with. I have a mission to do. However, there's a there's a camaraderie already built, right? It's like a sports team. We've been training. Now it's time to go to the playoffs. And the, uh, the families already know each other, right? Now, individual augmentee. You get on an airplane and you fly from Germany to uh, wherever you flew to train up, right? But that flight, t- talk to us about that experience and how that felt as oh, an individual I- augmentee. When I was in Germany, I had to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning. We had to go get my weapon, which they eventually took away anyway. It wasn't the right weapon for Iraq. It was like an M16 or some bullshit. And then so um, they got me up at, at 3 a.m. We went, we went to Rammstein Air Base. Um, I was sitting on a cot for hours waiting to hear when the next flight was going to be. And we got on C-130s that took us to Kuwait. And then from Kuwait, I was rushed through. I did. I had. I was in with another unit. It was two twelfth MP company that was deploying to Iraq. But I was. I was training with them a little bit. But I'd be rushed in and out of the training to do other stuff. My my JAG stuff. They would have me do. And and then I would go to the range or something in Kuwait real quick. And like, no, we gotta get you to Iraq right now. And going through my head. I knew that they were experiencing mortar attacks at Rustamaya. I knew that there were soldiers being killed. And I just knew that, like, I had to concentrate on the training and stuff and worry about that more than my own fears and stuff. And that's how I got myself through it. Yes. Yeah, so and you there were it is, there right? by yourself, right? Yeah. Go ahead, right. Go, go, go. Like, you were, like, what Guy was talking about. You weren't there with the whole unit. You were no. experiencing this as an a, a individual troop. As an individual 22-year-old guy. Yes, <laughs> there it is. So now, audience, imagine this. You're young 20s, maybe fresh out of college. I don't know. You know maybe you just did some odd jobs, right? Like um, I know uh, one of my early jobs was I was a, a server's assistant at Applebee's, learned how to wax on, wax off real good. And uh, – <laughs> And, and you have this experience, though, where you're, you're choosing by choice. You said, yep, yeah, I'll go. You're going to get on this airplane. You get on this airplane, and you're flying somewhere, and you're looking around, and it's like being on a, a business trip airplane, except you're looking around going, yeah, I don't really know any of these people, but uh, these are the people that I'm going to try to keep alive, and they're going to keep me alive for the next however long. 
right? Hopefully. How long, was, how long was that deployment for you? So that was from March until December 2008. Okay. okay. And I, yeah. I, I made friends along the way. So that's the thing. Even though yeah. I was an individual, like when, when I went on R&R, for instance, I made friends that way too. Nice. Um, nice. You know, you keep friends when you're like in transition units and stuff oh, like right. that. Yeah. Yeah, While you're yeah. waiting for dust off and all those flights in the, you know, in the air terminals, like it's a hurry up and wait, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just lots of hours. Just, you, you said something else that I caught in there. So, so your initial like thoughts, emotions, right? Getting onto the airplane, you're like, I had, I had fear. I'm sure there was some like uncertainty, uh, always excitement, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'm finally going to go do this thing I've been training for. And, and you've got all that. And then it's like, okay, but I'm, I'm going to combat. So take all these emotions, like, here's my emotion box, table that one, pull out my war box. Right. And then somewhere along the line, you find friends, right? How is, yeah. how is that journey finding friends? Well, finding friends for me was I, I'm an extrovert, so it's not hard for me to find friends nice. usually. But as a paralegal, so we were always told from training AIT on to be careful about who our friends were and to oh, make yeah. sure that we kept <laughs> ourselves say, like we had we had to make how sure. How do I that get we, out of this Article 15? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, and not mine would have been Jeremy. Mine would have been. Mine would have been totally different. I, I've told this story before, so I don't mind sharing it again. On my way out of theater, right, as a thank you to me from some uh, some Iraqi individuals that we had been working with and helping along the way with projects and whatnot, um, you know, they decided to uh, leave a briefcase with my interpreter that found its way into my office as I was packing to go home. Oh. And I look at my interpreter, Mike, and I'm like, Mike, what's in the suitcase? And he's like, it's for you, sir. It's, it's good. It's harmless. And I'm like, Mike, what's in the suitcase? And he's like, go ahead, open it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And it's full of cash. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Now, I, you know, if I had a friend like you, I could be like, hey, Jeremy, how do I get this money home? But I, yeah. but I didn't. So <laughs> I, I, I subsequently did not bring it home. I was not one of those people. Um, but that is interesting, Jeremy, yeah. to be worked, having that worked in your training. What was that like? having to pick and choose who your friends Ooh, yeah. are because of well we were so close in jag told. that's why so jag is very yeah. close-knit especially when we're active yeah. not now but when we're active we are more close-knit and we take care of one another you know and so when i went to camp victory i was taken care of very well by my two attorneys my um my ncoic and my uh first line supervisor and they were very, very like, it's, it's, this is a dangerous place. We're going to get through it together. And when the, and I had to be sent to Rustamaya by myself. And um, I was going to work in 95th by myself. And they were telling me there not to make any friends because of the unit was in such disarray at the time with alcohol and drugs and MPs mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we yeah. had to solve that crisis and we did. <laughs> And I was awarded R and R for it, which I was happy about. But we nice. did solve that crisis. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make a really bad joke saying we've never heard of any MP units being in trouble. But I don't want to. I don't, don't want to offend any MPs out there. And I've I've, I've got a good friend that's uh, pretty high in the in the MP world, and another friend that's a retired MP. And uh, Morgan might be listening. She's a boss. She's a retired MP. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say though, I I do agree with you with the the close knit network of legal. Uh, I got to work a little bit with law and order task force layout. If the individuals I was working with us, uh, a few of them were out of like New York state and a few other places. And they were over at uh, loyalty camp. Loyalty uh, oh. was where they were stationed out of because that was working more with Iraqi criminal law, not so much, uh, you know, on the American side or anything of, of that nature. It was more, because of where I was in Sauter City, like like I said, I was uh, a, a year ahead of you. Uh, we were we were bringing individuals to IJs, investigative judges in the Iraq judicial system, who had liaisons. They had counterparts from the American Law and Order Task Force, and so you're you're right. It was a it was a really tight knit group, um, and it was it was cool to kind of meet all those individuals and kind of get to know them. And and from that aspect, 
But my aspect of getting into home was from very much like a professional business aspect, right? Um, so I want to go back though. So individual augmentee. So you already said you're an extrovert. All my introverts are already cringing. They're like, if I had to get on an airplane by myself to fly to a foreign country where my life was at risk, and I had to try to make friends while being cautious of which friends to make, all my introverts are, are back over there going, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of feelings and emotions there, right? So what was that like once you were finally able to come home, right? Put away that war box, pull that emotions box back down off the shelf and start to unpack it. What was that journey like for you? When we were on our way home and like when we got home back to Germany. Yeah. Oh yeah, please. Oh, yep. oh my gosh. So when we got home, um, it was very difficult, um, for everyone. Uh, it was difficult for me. I, I, so we got back December 8th or 9th. We were trying to rush us home for Christmas. Um, we got oh. off. There was a blanket statement, no PT, nothing. Right. I went back wow. to the legal office and I started working in the legal assistance office. I was like, I'll just do power of attorneys and stuff. And then my, uh, fr from the S1 shop at Rustamaya, who was like overseeing my soldier day to day while I was doing paralegal stuff, came in to do a notary or something. And he's like, what are you doing working, Rusty? They used to call me Rusty. I'm like, I can't. I love it. Yeah. And I was like, I can't stop. It's like, a tr I'm like I, I feel like I'm on a treadmill. Like, I keep working. And we had stuff from a court martial in Iraq that was going to be, that was slated for March. So we, oh, the wow. deployment wasn't finished yet in my mind or in other people's mind. So we were still there was still work to do work to do from the deployment. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was it was difficult. And that's so when we home. were record. Yeah. Yeah. So you came home and you you almost like it was like you didn't pull that emotions box back off the shelf. You kept the war box off the shelf open. And actually, you've talked about that some where you were like the shift from your experience deploying and coming home from your first deployment and your second deployment deploying and coming home, right? Totally. Is what, it, yeah. Is what Jeremy talking about? Is that, is that pulling some of those, like, were you able to jump right back into that emotions box or were you like, Jeremy, you kind of stayed in that war box for a little bit. I stayed, I um, stayed in the war box. Yeah. For years yeah. and years and years and years. What I'm, I'm going to come back to you, Jeremy. We're going to jump into that. What about for you, Ashley? I think, you know, comparatively, it was easier my second time because the unit was very purposeful in doing a reintegration where okay. that first one, like I talked about, we did it, you know, in that line and it was just, okay, get back to Germany and go on your 30 day leave. Yeah. Okay. They just forget about this past year that just happened, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the sex, so I would say that one, but I mean, I was so, I mean, I was 19 when I left on my first Ooh, deployment and yeah. I mean, I turned 21 in Iraq. I voted for my first president in Iraq. Nice. Like, so I was so young I and I really didn't have, I didn't even know how to be scared because I didn't know any, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say as much as I turn i don't think i ever turned it on because i was just kind of in the twilight zone the whole time okay. for okay. that first deployment but then when the second deployment came back i definitely i would say i turned that war box on and then because yeah. my unit helped me reintegrate i was able to pull that emotion box out and kind of realize wow like this was intense I do yeah. remember feeling that like <clears throat> actually getting to feel it. Cause we've talked about that too. Like the autopilot thing. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but thankfully and, it sounds like Jeremy, uh, if your unit didn't do like that reintegration, like they, you just went back to work. Yep. Yeah. And Jeremy, I think that's one of those things like Ashley and I, and I, I can say that, you know, I've had a similar experience. Um, I, I had one that went a little bit, <laughs> A little bit deeper because I there was one of my trips where I flew on a civilian airliner, <laughs> and that, that 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 was that I so I can feel and empathize with you on that that being that individual right except mine was on a on a civilian airliner so I'm dressed in civvies right um, for for a non-military uh, individual so a lot of times when you're deploying you'll deploy on military aircraft so you'll you'll get you'll go to like Jeremy said you'll go to an air force base. You'll get onto a military airplane, you'll deploy, especially if you're deploying with a unit. And one of mine, I was completely in civilian clothing. I didn't have any of my, you know, gear, 
kit, a lot of that stuff, right? Like on the plane with me that had been shipped through another means. And, uh, you know, so it's like, um, I'm just on here for business purposes or whatever. Right. Um, but, and then, and then like you said, getting home and it's like, you're still in that treadmill of war. You're still in that war box. You're, you're just running and it's celebrated our culture. The military culture celebrates us coming home and still going like a hundred miles an hour, like full speed. Right. How long did it take you to start to like slow that treadmill down or, or what, maybe you just like completely jumped off the treadmill one day. Like, what was that like when all the, when the emotion box did finally come off the shelf for you? Uh, for me, I, uh, we were slated yeah. to deploy again, um, less than a oh, year wow. later. So we're supposed to go yeah. to Afghanistan. I, I volunteered to go, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh, the court martial happened in March. Um, and then we had the summer, I had a little bit of leave for the summer and then we went to the field and then in the field is where PTSD came out of me and we were doing a training with MRAPs now because we had, uh, just, uh, up armored Humvees in Iraq and now we're doing MRAPs and I think like one of the, uh, the cadre uh, at Grafenbeer said something to the, like we ordered us out of the vehicles in a simulated ID attack and wanted us to respond to an ambush. And I lost it because one of our soldiers in Iraq was killed that way, was oh, during man. ID attacks. They stepped oh, out of the man. vehicle into a daisy chain and I just lost it. I was yelling at him and stuff. We don't get out of the vehicles during an ID attack and stuff. Yeah. And then, and then that was like the beginning of the end. And then shortly after that, I was medically discharged. I didn't even go on the Afghanistan deployment. And so, yeah. um, mm. I, I just like got out of the, that's how I was, uh, was had one deployment, had a year after, and then getting ready for another one and then medically discharged. Yeah. Now, and now that's, I'm curious. And that's go, intense. Go, go. Those unseen, those triggers, you know, like you, we talk about our triggers and how you stop, you don't, sometimes when we're in the cl cl clinical space, they're like, what are your triggers? You're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Until yeah. it happens. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure you weren't like, going into that training session thinking this is going to trigger me until it happened. And right. You were and, like, and, whoa. And that's the beauty. So we know you went to the individual males retreat. So I just want to talk about that for one second for sure. anyone who's listening that hasn't been to one of our retreats triggers. Right. And a lot of people who are like, Oh, I don't have any trauma. Like, well, great. Do, do, you, do you live with someone with trauma? You have trauma. Right. So ART is what is the modality utilized at our individual retreats, which is accelerated resolution therapy. And there's three approaches to that methodology. There, there is, if you have a snapshot moment of memory, right? You're like, Oh yeah, this one will not get out of my mind. I, I cannot unlive this one. For me, that was specialist Gonzalez and the way he got killed. And, or there is a typical day scenario, right? Perhaps you're the individual you go through your day every single day and you get stuck at like the same point every single day, right? Like maybe you're able to get out of bed in the morning. You're able to like grab the coffee, read the newspaper, whatever that routine is. And then somewhere along the line, like you just, boop, the brakes hit and you can't proceed, you know, like monopoly, don't pass go, don't collect $200. You can't proceed anymore with your day. The other one is an emotion. I, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about my wife for a second, Kelly. Her big emotion that she has worked on, and I'm going to say this over and over and over and over again, is guilt. For some reason, my wife, Kelly, has this battle with guilt, right? And, and it's, it's this reoccurring cycle because trauma is cyclic. It, it, it comes and goes in waves, and we deal with it, right? We use our resources. For her, it's guilt, and for some reason, she wants to take on the responsibility of everything that's occurring in and around her. And so there's that's cool thing about the individual retreats, three ways to approach trauma. It's if you have a snapshot memory, go. If you get stuck day to day, there's somewhere where you tend to get stuck. Or if there's an emotion, that tends to be the overriding emotion. It doesn't matter for me. It was anger. For Kelly, it was guilt. It doesn't matter if it's sadness with depression. Those are all ways that our clinicians um, at the ORW Foundation retreats and those individual retreats can, can get after it. And we have clinical staff that support 
our couples and, and family retreats as well. So Jeremy, going back to you, thinking about, okay, so you deployed, you came home, you were still kind of in that war box, you were working through closing out this court martial because you're you are a paralegal, then you're back training up, getting ready to deploy Afghanistan, boom, training scenario triggers you, you get medically discharged. What was the what was the healing journey like as you're getting medically discharged, as you're starting to pick up resources and all these things? Like, because you know, I don't uh, you'll have to tell me that timeline from getting medically discharged to coming to the individual retreat. What, what was that healing journey like in there, though? All right. So that that's a long journey. So that's it's, it's like a 10 year time frame. And uh, yeah. so the I got out in 2010. I was very lucky and getting 100 percent service connection right away. So I got 70 percent and then unemployability right away. Um, I had very good VSOs and stuff, but the therapy that I was getting I was nonsense. It wasn't yeah. helpful. The VA was terrible at the time. Um, I They would tell me they didn't have enough room for people. Uh, for me, for therapy, I used to pay out my service connection money to a psychologist who didn't understand military trauma or anything. And, and, and so it wasn't until 2016. So we're talking about 2010. I'm just living life. Six I'm drinking. Years. Yeah, I'm drinking. I'm going to school and I'm like not doing well in school, trying to be a paralegal again and stuff and just hooking up with the wrong people and just, you know. And in 2016, it was really when I I, I, uh, I I looked into my journals and found a story from Iraq, an R&R story that I wrote, um, not like a journal entry, and I sent it off to be published, and it was published, and that like started this whole thing with me. And, and I, I started advocating for myself at the VA, saying I need help with PTSD. They weren't helping me at the time. They were really, really oppositional. It was just my local VA in Philadelphia. Um, my family was not understanding. I was starting to have late onset symptoms of PTSD. I was starting to see things. I was having psychotic episodes. I wasn't on the right medication. Um, I went and, and then finally in 2019, um, I went through a PTSD program at the Coatesville VA, which was great. Um, it, they they were really only focused on one incident, so differently than what I learned at the retreat. Um, they were only focused on one incident we could talk about for three months, you know, and whether it was EDMR, wow. prolonged exposure or whatever, and, and people were having trouble with this. So I got some healing. That helped me. But then when I went to, to um, Operation Red Wing Foundation, that's when it was – Post-traumatic stress disorder is in layers. There's all these things that um, come with the PTSD. Um, we're going to treat not like an ART therapy, how uh, my uh, cadre there told us, don't be judgmental. Don't have predetermined notions of this. Let whatever comes out. And things came out. And my ART therapy um, that were – that. I needed to talk about more and more at the VA and, and it's been, I've been successful with, and that's why I've been so successful that's at school awesome. and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That is so awesome. Mm. I have a thought on this. So I, you know, that is something I've talked to some of the VA's providers about how some of the PTSD clinics are changing to that, where they're wanting to focus on one thing and only do that one thing. And that happened to me as well, where they wanted to focus on the thing of the traumatic experience, but I wanted to work on these other symptoms that I'm experiencing. And they're like, no, well, we need to get work on this trauma thing. And I try to understand and be supportive of that from a clinical aspect, but still I wasn't ready to like undig that traumatic experience. I wanted to just kind of work on these things that I was ready to work on. Right. And yeah. yeah. So, you know, shout out to the VA. I know they're trying and they have methods to their madness and, we're supportive of that, but that's why it's so important to have these alternative resources like we have, like our retreat. And it sure sounds like it was definitely something you needed, like you said, to work on those layers. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeremy, that's a cool thing. And Ashley just echoed it. So I want to dive into that. So these layers of trauma, right? So if I look at, at some of my trauma journey, you know, you're, you're correct, right? Uh, so um, EMDR, Right. You have to verbalize the trauma. You're talking about the trauma. A lot of times it's uh, still 
simulation, like you're holding these things, these buzzers in your hand, whatever. Um, ART, you don't have to verbalize the, the trauma. You don't have to talk about it. So super good, especially for individuals who during, you know, it's so it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. During those modes, if you lose verbal, ART is a game changer for you. And, and, and looking at the layers, right? So we look at the layers. So everyone in my trauma journey at first was like, well, tell us about all the people that got killed <laughs> around you during combat. And that's it. That's that's as far as they wanted to go. You're that, like, that yeah, is... I can't wait to talk about that. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, let's let's relive this. Oh. And 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 then you you know, layers. So that is that's actually sitting on top of traumas that I had from uh being just a human, right? Like a civilian side. Like my mom, for example, was killed. Um, the individual is actually charged with vehicular manslaughter. So it was a murder charge, right? And then if you back up from there, there's trauma from my childhood. So you talk about these layers, right? And it's, it's great. Like everyone wants to focus on that, that, that the big, the, you know, the big combat trauma, right? Oh, that's the, that's the one we got to dig out. I, I mean, sure. Okay. However, like you said, right? Like we have to go through those layers and then we start to drop down to the next layers and then we have to drop down to the next layers because all these things are just blocks stacked on there that are causing us to have all these, uh, you know, unseen episodes and emotions that come out of nowhere. Like I'm, I'm going to give you a great one. And Ashley, I'm kind of curious because uh, you were involved in this with me. So Veterans Day this year, right? Like we just had Veterans Day. And I don't know why, but I started out the day like, I was the angriest bear in the history of angry bear. I have no idea why, right? Thank goodness, wife goes to work, kids go to school, they come home, and all of a sudden, somewhere in there, like, I was like, hey, I don't need to be around anyone. They're like, cool, so glad, shout out to all of my therapies and everything that I could verbalize that. Somewhere in there, though, the, the, the flip, it, it, it switched, and it went from angry to I just couldn't stop crying. Like, I'm telling you, I, Jeremy, I bet I cried for like three hours until my body would not allow me to cry anymore. Huh. And I had, I like, on the mental surface level, I have no idea why I started crying. Not a clue. All I can tell you is I cried for like three hours. And I can tell you, I did reach out. Uh, I sent a text message to a couple of people, and Ashley was one of them. Yes. So, Ashley, what, what, on being on that side of it, what was that like for you? I mean, just sending you like, a, a hug of validation like it's okay yeah. to be feeling that way i mean it's it's not easy no. the stuff that we went through you know the stuff that in is encompassing in military service and it does take people who have been there and or and not only been there but who get it like try to understand and and then also understanding the importance of having someone there for you yeah. So that's what, you know, shout out to you for, cause that's a big part of our, our healing journeys too, is being able to reach out. Right. Because we don't yeah. want to get to that point of loneliness and thinking that no one is there for us because which we, some it, I'm guilty of that too sometimes, but that's a huge part of, of embarking on that journey and learning that there are people who care. Um, no, so 100%. it was, it was heartbreaking to, to, to feel what you were feeling right there with you, but it was also healing to feel what you were feeling right there with you at the same yeah. time. And, and then Jeremy, for you, so you, you start going through this uh, healing journey, this trauma journey, right? You, you find your way to the retreat. The retreat does, you, you have some really good work there. And now you're on this like social work journey. So now you're on the side, yeah. uh, like Ashley and myself, right? Being team leaders for ORW. Uh, shout out to Ashley doing the extra work that she does with uh, the veterans uh, uh, suicide support group. If I'm saying that correctly, suicide prevention. Yeah, suicide prevention. So Jeremy, what is it like for you now? Right. So you you deployed trauma trauma journey. Now you're on the social work side. What is it like being on the social work side? Yeah. It is great because it has all the causes that I really cared about when I was a paralegal that I wouldn't be able to affect. And also when I was deployed, I got a lot of 
coins, a lot of awards, certificates, all kinds of stuff. And, and I always felt that that was like my best time of my life. But now I feel like school is the best time of my life as well, because I'm doing all that kind of stuff as president of social work club. We're doing world kindness day at school. We're giving out positive notes nice. to students as they're so going through the semester and stuff like that. And they're coming up and they're giving us hugs and, and that kind of thing. And so like, it feels a little bit like the army again, where I had purpose and meaning and social work is so important. Like, I, like we're both of you are clinical. I'm going to go on the macro level and ins, influence uh, policy decisions. That's where I'm going to be good at, nice. and because uh, I have a legal background, so I'm going to be talking to the legislators about what we can do to bring social justice to the world and, and to it's so needed for veterans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so needed. And I saw this thing recently. It was like a chart of the number of veterans in Congress and how it's like totally changed from, you know, during World War II, it was high and Vietnam, it was high. And now it's really low. We're in like, I want to say the chart said like 30% or something. And so it's so important to have a veteran's voice impacting policy. So thank you for that because we need it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely do. And uh, shout out to you throwing that like unseen nugget out there. Right. So uh, we all have to have a purpose. Right. And it's like that purpose. Some of us find it. We can verbalize it. Right. Like you're clearly able to verbalize what you found is your purpose. I don't know that I could necessarily verbalize it. Actually, I, I think you could probably verbalize your purpose. And that purpose is like, it's like that. Only recently. Only recently. Okay. Okay. And, and, and it's like an anchor, right? It lets us know like how I was during veterans day, just randomly crying my eyes out for three hours, three and a half hours, whatever it was to my body literally was like, I can't cry anymore, bro. I'm like, all right, cool body. Uh, just so my anchors in that moment were being able to reach out to like Ashley my family understanding that I needed time and space. Um, I reached out to a, to one of my best friends uh, throughout the world, Kyle, um, and he, you know, God bless him, uh, calls me up, and and he's going through his own battles right now. His dad is terminally ill with cancer, oh. um, and it's yeah, it's it's been a long battle. It's just now there's a window, right? So he's on the phone with me, and we're like, you know whatever you want to call us, any acronym you want to use. We're just both like, just crying our eyes out, like on the phone, like chatting with each other. It's finding that purpose though, that anchors you. And for me in that moment, it was that network of people I could reach out to, to say like, I don't know what's going on with me. All I know is like, I am hurting. Right. And finding that purpose, that purpose is one of those unseen things that when that, that, you know, that war box goes away or that work box, for those of you not in the military, if you're retired, whatever you're doing goes away and that emotions box starts to come back out or those emotions start to surface back up to the layer because something we don't understand triggered us or something happened or, you know, maybe it's just time of year. Um, you know, cause for me, like Thanksgiving relative to my mom is the toughest holiday of the year for me. Yeah. So but purpose, right? Ashley purpose purpose having a purpose you know and and it takes work to figure that out i you know that's i've talked about one of my biggest uh issues that i have with my own mental health is feeling expected to do stuff and so like right there kind of having a purpose is part of that expectation but i have just recently found a balance with being proud of my purpose because that's something else i work on too is being proud of myself And finding that purpose, like finding a niche, you know, finding what you're good at, honing in on what you're good at to find that purpose, at least professionally, um, has really helped me. I'm still working on it personally, but professionally definitely found a purpose. And it it is fun once you find it because then you can kind of go all in. And it sounds like, Jeremy, that that's kind of what you've done. Like you found your healing purpose, still a work in progress, you know, it sounds like. And but going through that social work journey, wanting to focus on that macro level. So you've even like honed it in on 
because we all know the social work. Well, maybe not we all, but we social work can go in so many di- directions. Yeah. And so I want to hear. So how does this tell us about the books and your blog? Like how oh, can sure. we? I'm so excited because I read some of your blog parts and I just saw the title of your book. But tell us about your book. So this is my most recent book, Gemma Ventures on a Story of Hope. My pen name is Jen Freeman. Um, This is about my homeless uh, venture. So when, like I mentioned before, in 2016, I really started advocating for myself. But then I wasn't on medication and um, I went through a state of agoraphobia. And if you're not familiar with agoraphobia, that's when you're stuck inside, you're having hallucinations. Oh, um, like you can't leave. You like can't you leave. don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, you're completely um, clinically isolated yourself. Wow. Um, the VA was not great at the time. Um, I didn't have a license. My license was suspended. Um, I uh, uh, was not able to get my family to take me to Philadelphia from New Jersey. Um, so they were calling health and welfare inspections on me, having police come and take me to the local ER and then have me walk home. It was, it was a mess. It was a whole oh mess. Oh my gosh. Talk about crisis care, like so, burden uh, on yeah, burden. It, it was a whole mess. But then, so then I got a, eventually this brought up to an eviction, right? So I didn't pay one month's rent, uh, all that craziness. They evicted me. I mean, they wanted me out after all these police come in all the time. So I moved myself. I was still on the 100% disability, so I was lucky. Now, I didn't have a place to go, um, but I moved out to Las Vegas, and that's where all this book starts. It, it's all about my blog entries and stuff that I wrote during that time, trying to get myself in the VA care, going to Las Vegas VA and being turned away, going to Philadelphia VA, being turned away. And, and, and so the reason why is being, a journey. Like they, it's not that they turn you away. It's just that they, they say, you're going to go inpatient. We're going to medicate you. They medicate you, put you inpatient. But if you're not at the right social worker at the right time, they're not going to offer you the next program. And whether that's homeless intervention, whether that's PTSD or a power program like a Coatesville has for females, um, you need that social worker that can say, hey, this veteran needs to go to the next place, not the shelter. Right. And then so that's looking at it through that different lens. That's Ah. it is so powerful. A shout out to social workers. Shout out to you and your journey becoming a social worker, because it is It's so important to kind of get out of that lens of looking at it through a clinical, even a medical perspective. But it's like, let's look at this as a whole person. Yeah. And how is this going to affect them? So does that because you said you want to affect on the macro level, you want to affect on the policy level. Does that moment right is that what inspires you to want to work on policy and i'm also curious what types of policy you want to work on or did that inspiration come from somewhere else no the policy level uh as far as how to affect the legislators and and the va policies or whatever was because i was being affected by the policies that were nonsensical or made no sense and were not based on a, a military mindset that we could adapt and overcome and, and, and inclusive. One of the biggest ones I have problems with is the smoking policy that they just, they didn't even ask anyone about it. They just cut off cigarette smoking at the VA. And I, I, I'm a smoker, but I can deal with this. I don't have to deal with this right anymore because i'm outpatient but when you're living there or something and you're at the va program and you go through a ptsd treatment and you're going through a therapist or something you want to have a cigarette at the end and you want to be able to just do it out the outside somewhere where it's safe and it's secure and maybe you can talk to other veterans or whatever now they're giving out 90 dollars tickets for this for that business Right. And so and that's a big part. I mean, even in the military, uh, there's always the smokers that go to the smoking area. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, little policies sure. like that started to and, and then like just how they would send veterans from the psych ward right to the shelter with medication, stuff like that. And just knowing that there was a, there's better answers to that um, really inspired me during the covid pandemic policies that uh, some of them mm. I agree with, some of them I disagree with. And knowing that there was no military person making these decisions, it might have been someone who just 
graduated college very young like us when we were in the military making decisions. Right? Good idea, yeah. fairies. Yeah, good idea. Whoa, fairies. whoa, 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 whoa. You need us green brains. That wasn't a jab. You need us green brains, all right? And I'm just, and here's what, here's, here's what my good idea, fairies, pulling out a Jeremy statement. Uh, I hear you, you know, talking about, you know, on the surface, a lot of people are like, oh, smoking, right? It's 2023, cancer, don't do that. What I heard you identify, though, was that it, it, it takes you to a place, right? Like, like Ashley mentioned, in the smoke shack, a lot of people go to the smoke shack in the military to smoke. It's a designated area where you can go smoke, right? We don't mm-hmm. want you smoking around ammunition. However, you identified it as a safe place where you could go. And it's a place, what I felt out of that was where you knew you had other people that had commonalities with you and you could go and you could, you could de- decompress. And in those moments, you could just feel human, right? Even though you were going through all these yeah. treatments, you were impatient. It was, uh, this has historically been a safe place for me. I can go over there. I can decompress. I can just be human for a little bit. Right. And we talk yeah. about being trauma informed and meeting people where they are. And that is such a good point that those policies did the absolute opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I I think COVID said a lot of, I I, I would say COVID was extremely rough on anyone fighting mental health battles. And I'm, I'm just going to speak for the veteran population. I'm going to say, I know, I know, because I know how many individuals that I had to, you know, go. One of my buddies uh, is a retired first sergeant and I had to go find him in his vehicle in the back 40 of now Camp Liberty, formerly Fort Bragg, to, you know, get the bottle of liquor out of his car and get his pistol out and unload it and give him a big bear hug and then get him out of there and then get his car out of there. And he was just one. I I bet I was probably, actually, I felt like you, honestly. I bet I was probably on the phone with a different veteran or current service member that was like on that edge of suicide attempt right they were at suicidal ideation on the edge of suicide attempt Mm. i'm gonna say probably easily two to three times a week during COVID, easily and i hit like super depression during that because it all was stacking on me and i didn't really have like a healthy good outlet right so i i did the you know i did the healthy thing i started just drinking every night which (laughs) right I mean, what were my options, right? Like, it was what were well, my options? A, it was, and then throw on the world. I mean, it was such yeah. a weird. It was such a weird. Thank God we are still pulling ourselves out of that. Like, geez, yeah. that was just such a hard time. And oh, all right, man. Jeremy, I gotta ask. Uh, I'm going in. I'm going in for the the uh, the tough question here. All right, okay. you're you. You jump into your hypothetical time machine, you travel back in time, you see younger you, and you can leave one piece of information, one nugget, one thing, one idea. What do you say? Keep the faith. That's it. Ooh, nice. I, I love like that. that. Keep I the like faith. That. Well, that I like goes that a lot. I like that. Like you, you, especially it's been incredible, Jeremy, because it sounds like you had some super low lows, but then to hear where you're at now and still just keeping the faith, just keeping on, keeping on with the keeping on. Yeah. You can't change the past. And then like when you want to go back and change it and this, you, it brings up layers and layers of trauma, brings up layers and layers of depression. But if you keep the faith, you tell yourself when you were younger, Things will work out. You have to know because I'm alive today. I'm doing this podcast. I'm doing social work, all this kind of stuff. If I I couldn't imagine doing that five years ago. So yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, Ashley. Of everything we've discussed, learned, gone through today, what is like your what is like your unseen takeaway? What is like your one one? Notice the number okay. one. What's your one thing? <laughs> you know, and this goes along with everything we've been talking about the layers and the having a purpose. But the one thing that I love, we can leave as an individual, we can be an individual, but we can find our team. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that. I love that. That was a big unseen thing that, you know, we, we don't realize 
what we're doing at the time, you know, we didn't realize the importance of finding our team, but we hear that a lot throughout our podcast today of how important it was to have others there for us and be there for other people and having a team. I totally agree. Okay. And I'm going to say my one unseen element from today is uh, Jeremy threw this out there with this idea of, of purpose. And I want to kind of rephrase it a little bit different because Ashley did mention, right? Like, like that concept, that idea of hitting rock bottom. And uh, there's a really cool, like gold cast does some really cool speeches. They reshow some speeches. And in one of the speeches I re-listened to recently uh, with my family, he, uh, the speaker says like, uh, you know, rock bottom, right? That worst of the worst, that lowest of the low rock bottom can be a great place to build a foundation from, right? So purpose. So if you're out there, find your purpose. Uh, so do us a favor. If you haven't already, reach down there, hit the like and subscribe, jump on the website, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a veteran, whether you just want more information about what we do here at ORW Foundation, you're interested in figuring out how you can get involved and help us out, support us, uh, reach down there, hit those buttons, go to that website. For the Unseen Journey, I'm your host, Guy, with my host always. Ashley. That's right. And Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us. Today. Thank you. Thank you. And for it was quite honor. Thank you. It was really cool, Jeremy. And if you want to check out Jeremy's blog, it's gemadventureson.com. Thank you. Yes. We'll see you again. Take care, y'all. We appreciate you tuning in to The Unseen Journey. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you're a veteran or a supporter of veterans, please think about contributing to ORWF at orwfoundation.org to help veterans in their transition. We also extend an invitation to veterans to explore our retreat opportunities where they can connect with peers and embark on a healing journey. For additional resources, visit our website at orwfoundation.org. Our heartfelt thanks to Operation Red Wings Foundation for making this podcast possible. Together, we can make the unseen journey a little easier for our veterans. Until next time, take care.